Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report Top 5 podcast. Very special episode here. In light of uh, the uh, the COVID thing and everybody being home, we've we've gotten a lot of great opportunities to do some pretty cool uh, episodes, and, and uh, we're trying to get them out as fast and furious as possible. we got a bunch coming down the line, so if you haven't had a chance to catch up on any, they're all there on the website, and uh, hopefully you saw the Prog From Home concert, um, which is on YouTube, and we're beyond ecstatic about it, it has, has over 110,000 views now on YouTube, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, that segues into this episode, which one of the performers on there who has a uh, solo album coming out uh, that we're very excited about. He's been in a number of bands that we all love and that we've talked about for God knows how many times. Uh, so I'm really happy to welcome Nick DiVirgilio. What's going on? Hey, Nick, man, really glad to have you on. And, uh, and thank you for doing that performance on the uh, on the Proc from Home show. That was a really cool version of the single from the new record, uh, Where's the Passion? So we'll get into all of that. I want to introduce Jeff Bailey, of course. Hello, everybody. Hi, Nick. Hi, Roy. Hey, Jeff. So we've all, uh, you know, we, we've known Nick for a while now and for, for different things, Morse Fest and, and stuff. And Jeff, you know, you know Nick very well as well from all of that. So this is very cool. To have you on and be able to talk a little bit before we get into what's going to be kind of unique a top five on stuff that nick has done so if, if for anybody that, that only thinks of nick as either the drummer from big big train or lead singer or drummer for spock's beard there's there's those things and then there's like a hundred other things so we're going to do a top five of just nick de virgilio stuff and then we'll talk about everything he's done and we'll see where that goes um, but I want to get into the solo record first because that's uh, exciting. Uh, Invisible uh, comes out. Is it June twenty sixth? Friday twenty sixth. Yep. So far, just the one single that we've heard. Where's the passion? We've had a chance to hear the record. It's fantastic, as you would expect. Um, lots of different styles. Mm. You really, I mean, this is not just a prog record. This is sort of an everything record. So I, I don't know. I'll let you talk about it a little bit. Like, where'd you get the idea for it? Um, how long have you been working on it, I guess? Well, a long time. It took me a while to get over the hump. It all started when I got my job with Cirque du Soleil, and I was uh, drumming in a booth behind the stage and just feeling really disconnected from everything. And, you know, um, at that initial stage, I was feeling sort of, inv- I know anybody could be back here doing it. It was the wrong thing to be feeling because it was actually a really great opportunity. But at the beginning, that's just where my, my brain was. I got over that quickly, but that um, that gave me the inspiration to start just writing some music. So I had this booth, I play the show, and then I just had basically my own little world in there, and I started writing a ton of music and riffs and things like that. This idea of Invisible sort of started there, um, and then I sort of took off on the concept of that word and thinking of people who really are have tough jobs in life, and you know, there's a lot more people that feel sort of the same way about where they are in life, and so I'm sort of tried to expand on that theme. And then I started just coming up with different versions and writing some songs over like the next, gosh, four or five years. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago here at Sweetwater where I played some of these demos that had been just sitting around and 
and growing, you know, mold on them that Mark Hornsby, my partner up here, or he's not here anymore, but the guy who mixed, co-produced and mixed the record Invisible, along with the Fringe and Rewiring Genesis. We've made a ton of records together over the years. He said, well, we got to make this record. We've got to finish this off. And so that was just, that was the tipping off point that really got me motivated to do something on my own. Because it's been so long since I've done a solo record. I've been thinking about it a long time, but there was, you know, life was always getting in the way and band stuff, which I'm very committed to, all the big, big training stuff. So it's just, a, it was that kick in the pants that I needed to, to finish this concept. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess so recording wise, was it just, did you have some songs recorded a, a while back and then you, they were on the shelf and then you finished them up now or, or, or was it all just the recording was what happened just the recording? Well, yeah, they were all demos. So we redid everything from the ground up. Used some of the program things yeah. that I had already built in, some of the drum loops and stuff that were there. But um, really, we started from the ground up, uh, and it, it got me motivated to write the rest of the songs and to kind of rework some things and to really think of the whole story. Since I haven't made a record in so long, I figured I'd, and I've always had this idea, I wanted to really go out with, come out with a bang and do something, uh, you know, to catch some attention as best I could. So it just gave, it motivated me to, to come up with the whole story and work these tunes in. What about some of the, the guests you have on the record? I mean, you, you called in a, a bunch of the, your friends and buddies to play on, on, on some of these things. So who's on the Who's on, who's the, on album? the album? There's a ton. Um, hmm. there's, you know, I'll look at the liner notes so I don't miss any. <laughs> I'll let you tell because I don't remember. Yeah, no, I mean, I have everybody <laughs> from, too many to mention. From, uh, there's Randy McStein and Jonas Reingold. So those are two favorites of mine, of course. Uh, Jordan Rudess, yep. Tony Levin, uh, Carl Verheyen, super tramps guitar player, mm. Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, uh, Paul Gilbert, uh, Michael O'Mardian is an old keyboard player and producer from way back mm. in the day. Yeah. He played with you know everybody. He's re- you know uh, tons of people. Tom Hemby, a great Nashville guitar player. Uh, Stan Cody, who worked at Fender Guitars and did stuff with me and Kevin Gilbert back in the day. Uh, so a lot of really cool players added their touch. And the reason I got some of these players on the record at first, like especially like Rick Nielsen, was here at Sweetwater, we do a bunch of recording masterclasses and workshops. And with Jordan Rudess and Rick Nielsen and also um, with Tony Levin, they'd come to do this workshop and they needed music to, to record. They didn't bring their own song. So I got them to record my song in that environment, which was I got, you know, got, I got a lot of banks. Right. So. <laughs> That's they got very paid cool. to come and do this workshop. People would come and learn how to record from these these great players like Jordan or yeah. how they do their thing, how they get their sounds and how they think about what they're doing in the studio. And it was my song they were recording. So it was a uh, it worked out to a huge benefit for me. Right. To have these guys in that place. And so that's how I built up some of those guest artists on the record. That's where my friend I would just call and say, hey, you want to play on my record? And they said, yeah. With like a Rick Nielsen, you do you tell him it's it's for for your record, and or do you have to ask permission to use it? Well, yeah, you have work? to make sure he's cool with it all and everything like that. But yeah, he was fine right. with it. Yeah, oh, that's, that's I think really one cool. of the things I I really enjoy about it is it seems to be a sort of a like there's no you know there's no rules you know it's and I suppose a contrast it to something like the Fringe, where the sound there is pretty much a three piece, people playing. This album, there's so much going on. It's a total headphones album, you know. On the, I can't remember. I think it's maybe this third or fourth track, and there's this very, very heavy riffing. And then at the very, very, at one point, 
an orchestra just repeats the same riff you know that the musicians have been playing and it's like you've kind of decided right what would be really good out of here well let's just put an orchestra in at this <laughs> bit and it, you know it's not you know it's not in any way gratuitous because there's a prelude at the start and we know the orchestra's kind of around the other thing i, I, I mean in terms of there's a story i mean there is a sort of a i mean people i've heard people refer to it as a concept album but it's more of a sort of a day in the life of anyone really is that is that kind of the idea it is a concept or a story record there is a story through the whole thing and it's about this one guy who's fed up with his life and he finally says enough is enough and he gives everything up leaves his job in the middle of the day and goes and tries to just find the purpose of his life the meaning of his life and he ends up finding it in the end of it all and so the songs kind of meander him through some adventures of exploring the world that that he hasn't seen or taken in in a long time realizing that there's other people out there that feel very similar to his feelings. Um, he's not the only one, you know, and then um, ends up getting in the middle of a bad situation. I found that I kind of goes through a near-death experience, and then he's, he's basically told that it's not his time to say goodbye. He's, he, he hasn't finished mm-hmm. time on Earth yet, and he comes back. And his purpose, he, he finds that he has meaning in the end of it all, which is the moral of the, the whole thing, the moral of the horse. Sorry, the moral of the whole story for me is that we all have purpose in this life. With all the crazy shit that's going on right now in the world, so many people, it's like they don't, they feel like they, they're worth nothing or they have no, no mm. purpose here. But we all have a purpose, no matter what, how small or how big. I truly believe that. And so that's what I was trying to get across. Yeah. Now, when I first started making this record, I was being way more literal with the story and the lyrics and stuff like that. And both Mark and my wife were, were saying, you know, you may want to rethink that. It was like it was too – I was writing it all out. In too, it was too plain sight kind of thing, you know. I didn't mm-hmm. leave any for people to mad, kind of make up their own interpretation of the story. Yeah. I pulled back on that a little bit. So you can sort of make up your own meaning to some of it. But it is yeah. is that arc of this guy who's fed up and goes through these adventures and finds his life's purpose. Uh, and I think I think that's the thing about it that you know a lot the songs are they're kind of every you know they're every man type song because we've been lonely or we've been you know we've been sucked into the corporate machine or you know we've yeah. been overjoyed and all of those sort of themes are are there uh, yeah it's uh, really really good is that where the the song money is that where the choosing the song money to cover in in, in the uh, in the story is that sort of I was wondering where that choice comes from. Well, that was when that's early on when he goes out and he's uh, he's experiencing things he he forgot about. So the song right the song right before that I'm gone is when he first takes the step out the door of his job and and it's like he's seen the sky for the first time. He he just forgot that it was all there because he was so sucked into his life. So money was like the way I envisioned it was you know he's walking around he's you know, taking in all this stuff and he's maybe he's thirsty or something. So he goes into a shop to get something to drink. And as he walks in, he sees the person behind the counter looking very depressed and disheveled. And, and he either makes the mistake or he's very curious. He goes, well, is everything okay? Or something like that. Uh, why, what's wrong? Why are you here? All that kind of stuff. And then the person goes into this tirade of while they're there, they're stuck in that position. They, they need to make the money. That's why we're there. They're, they can't get out of where they are because of mm-hmm. the money's so bad. You know that kind of thing. But that's yeah. that's, that's a really interesting take on yeah. the song too, for people that finally get a chance to hear it. I've never heard it, it arranged. At first, you don't know what the song is. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's completely different, different. Take on the songs, and that's you know, it's it's meant to be brooding and dark, 
You know, the person yeah. that's singing the song is not the main character. It's it's someone else who's just a little bit going a little crazy, you know, and a little, little uh, in a dark place. That's the next yeah. single coming out, cool. by the way. This great. Oh, okay, great. This and uh, and you referenced "Not My Time to Say Goodbye" too, which is towards towards the end of the album. That's that's an amazing Thanks. song too. Like like that one a lot. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get uh, started on this. Um, uh, we're we're gonna just pick five. Uh, we're each gonna go through and pick our five things of different things you've done, and uh, we'll discuss. Um, so Nick, I'm gonna give you the the floor to go with your number five uh, to kick it off. Well, these aren't really in top five order i just picked out five things that um but i'm gonna start one where i was a guest and uh you know are part of a an ensemble and it's mm-hmm. song water under the bridge from the kevin gilbert record shaming of the true um that was one of the tunes yeah. where i had a little i had a you know i was finishing up that record and um it was one of the tunes that uh, we recorded before kevin passed and it was great to be in the studio with him because I'd finally convinced him to start thinking about finishing this record, sort of similar to what Mark did with me. You know, he had he had a lot of these songs sitting around forever and he was afraid about making a rock opera and where the, especially where the, he was in the music business at that time. He wanted to be a little more commercial and and all of that stuff. And I finally had kicked him in the butt enough to go into the studio and start reworking some of these tunes. And that was one of them. So it was really special in that way. And it's a, it's a great song. I love the whole ending bit, how it gets, it gets fun in the end of the song. Um, and I, I like the way I played on that tune. I think it came out really well. Um, and it's just a very special moment in my career. Skin questions. So, That's that's such an amazing record to me, even to this day. It's one of my favorite albums ever, and I, I just, it's so unique and uh, well written and well put together, and the sarcasm in it is just awesome. The, yeah. the lyrics, the whole thing, uh, just tremendous. There's another drummer on the album, Brian McLeod. Brian McLeod, right? So how much did he play versus you play? Because I was always trying to figure that out. Uh, but it doesn't say specifically who's on what. So he played on a, he played on a couple of things, a few things definitely, because he was some of those stuff. Some of those songs were when when I got the record after Kevin passed and we decided to finish it. It was around you know forty percent ish kind of done. So some of the songs we just remixed. We didn't re-record or add anything to. So like the song "City of the Sun" is Brian playing drums, and that was done earlier on, probably two or three years before Kevin passed, and that kind of thing. Brian is one of the greatest drummers ever. He is a stu- stupendous musician. He's played on a t- tons of hit records. He was all part of the Tuesday Night Music Club with Kevin and did all, you know, mm. a writer of some of those songs. And he's done a gazillion sessions. And he's one of the, he's a huge inspiration to me. So he's on part of the record yet because those those are the songs that we didn't re-record. That's cool. Yeah, I saw his discography. I looked it up. It's it's insane. He's it's played insane. on 
He's played on everything. He's great. Um, that's very cool. Awesome. With the drummer uh, for me and Tears for Fears. That's kind of how I got the Tears for Fears gig is because Brian recommended me. Right. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Cool. You've performed Shaming live a few times. Twice. And uh, yeah, how, how how does how is that is that something that I mean I think there's actually someone recently posted some rehearsal footage on I think it was Gruno maybe posted some rehearsal footage on Facebook. Is that something that was ever recorded to come out or was yeah, it the last time we did it we were we were thinking of trying to make a DVD and all that kind of stuff and it it all it was a great moment to be there live when we looked back at everything and heard the recording. You know, it wasn't the tightest thing in the world. And it was just in, in keeping with Kevin's name and wanting to put something out top notch. We just didn't feel that it was at that level. It was magical night. It definitely was, you know, and um, just didn't feel like it was quite up to, to snuff with what we wanted to kind of put out there as a commercial product. That's all. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, sure. I'd love Fair to enough. do it again. We have ideas. You know, we were always trying to see how we can re. Re, you know, bring that record back to life again and do something else with it live. And we we're always, you know, shooting that idea around and seeing. So maybe we can do that again sometime. Cool. Yeah. Jeff, you want to jump in? You're number five. Okay. So it, it's not, uh, it's not entirely unrelated and it's purely by coincidence. Um, so I started with your first solo album, Karma, mm -hmm. which is nearly 20 years old, which is, wow incredible <laughs> you see, actually you see, actually shaming is also 20 years old which is amazing 2000 oh, wow right and um the song i mean there's so many from it i could pick but the song i picked was the song the game okay um and i, I just i just think as a as a kind of a, a ballady type song but the i think just everything about it is just a really really classy song like kevin was he involved in that or was he was part of that? He's playing piano on that song. That's why it's a pretty special tune because we, I, he was helping me out trying to uh, work on some of my own songs back in the day. He was really sort of grooming me and helping me a lot in a lot of ways when I first started working with him. Um, I really looked up to him as a musician. You know, he, he was only a couple years older than me, but I mean, he he had like an old soul about it, and, and so at that point, I he uh, he said, "Yeah, come over and we'll let's start working on this track." And he, so he's playing piano on that. So we were able to keep that performance of him. And I've worked that into the whole song. And, and were the, I mean, it, it, nearly when you listen to it, it were, the, were the lyrics nearly written as a, a tribute to him or was that yeah, what it, they were before? Exactly. The lyrics came after he passed. Yeah. So it was all okay. about like, the song. It mentions his dog Dagny. And it's basically talking about us getting ready to go to a gig playing like at the Troubadour, one of the places in LA that we did back when we were uh, promoting his stud record. Uh, we everyone was pretty excited when we were first doing those gigs, you know, there was a little, there was a, a fire about it all. And he was, he seemed really on fire and we had toured around a bit and we'd do these gigs in Los Angeles and the clubs would be packed, you know, mm -hmm. KLOS, the local radio station was there and it was, you know, he felt like he, there was something really going on. Um, so that's what that song is about us getting ready to go do a gig. <laughs> nice 
Um, okay, I'll jump in. So I was going to go with shaving, but you covered it. So I'm going to, sometimes I'll do this. I'll make a last minute change because I was on the fence with a <laughs> few different numbers. Um, I'm going to go with uh, a, a song for an album you played drums on with uh, Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears on his solo record. Yeah. And uh, what's the name of that? Tom Katz uh, something. I, I forget the name. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to go with the track uh, Bullets for Brains, which is, I think, the fourth track on the album. Do you even remember, like, <laughs> like I've done some way, ways back, that album? Oh, totally, man. That was, uh, it was a great experience. We recorded it at Roland's house. Roland has a, uh, I don't know if he still has the house or not, but it's near Bath where he grew up. It was in a little village in the, in the, in the hills. And he brought me and the bass player, um, gosh, it was in Tears for Fears with you. Hold on, I'll think of his name in a second. But he brought the two of us over to England for like three weeks and got us an apartment and our mm-hmm. own car. And we would go over to Roland's house every day and, and work on these songs. And um, it was uh, that was a tremendous experience because I, I got to, I mean, I had known Roland now from playing live in the band with him. But now seeing him in the studio and creating and how he writes songs and his, his process, um, it, was cool. it was amazing. It was also at that same session where I got the phone call to go from Chris Hughes to go do the Peter Gabriel session that I did way back in the day. Cause I was at Roland's house recording for him and they're only about 20 minutes apart. Um, so it's a such a cool, uh, and it's such a, cool a great album. solo album. It's really different. If you like tears for fears, it's definitely has that vibe, but it's, it's a bit more eclectic, I think. And He's really and into, dark. Yeah. He was really into sort of like, well, the, the sound of the day, the sound of electronic music in the yeah. day with loops and EDM and, the vibe that that music was in around that time, it's experimenting with those sounds. That's kind of where his head was at, you know? Yeah. But that song, uh, so bullets for brains is, uh, I, I mean, I, you tell me, but I, I, you know, it's not the most complicated drumming type of song, but it's very straight and just has this kind of groove and it doesn't let up for the entire four minutes. And I just always thought to, to even to play that it's almost, it's almost as succinct as like a drum machine, but it's just so on top of, of the beat, the way the song works. It's really, it's just perfect. And the drum sound is actually also just amazing on that song. I always love that for some reason. Yeah. That came directly from a loop CD that they had. I don't know who the drummer was on the loop CD, but back in those days, you got, you know, you'd have to get the CD with all these different loops on it and then load it into your sampler and then truncate it. It was like, there was a huge, way harder than it is today with technology <laughs> right. stuff. But they just asked me, I remember it was him and um, Alan Griffiths. They go, Hey, can you play this beat? I said, uh, let me try. It. So I played it and I got it. They go, yeah, do that. I said, okay. And yeah. So that's what just do that for four and a half minutes. Just that's it. <laughs> Very cool. I, you know, funny story about that song. I think I remember because 
I'm like a hardcore diehard Tears for Fears fan, especially back back then. And and sure. this was like internet dial up period, I think. Right. So I had heard about this record, and at the time of Napster and all that was was going on. And I had the album or on pre-order or whatever, but then of course you find out it's leaked online. And I just remembered waiting like three days for this album to download, <laughs> just so I could hear it like two weeks before it came out or something. I was <laughs> obsessed with this record. So uh, no, it's very a little cool. bit of bad luck for him too because the release date was nine eleven. Yes, mm. totally. I remember that. I think it was released a little bit like a week earlier in Europe, but in America it. The, the go live date was the same day we had the big terrorist thing over here. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. Like yeah, and all of a sudden it was, he never really had a solo. I know it. like people lost interest immediately, which really sucked for him. For him. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, I don't think the album's available. It's not on Spotify. I don't think it, you can even get it anywhere. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is terrible. But anyway, it's probably on YouTube somewhere. Find it. But, uh, Tomcat's screaming outside. I think it's called, it's really, really cool record. Um, all right, cool. So let's uh, jump to you, Nick. Your number four. Um, I'm going to go with a fringe track. My my guys, Randy and Jonas. I'm going to pick the song "Flare" from nice. our fringe record. And yeah. we're all, we're talking about making another fringe record. We're going to work on it this summer remotely. For now, mm-hmm. so there's more fringe music coming. But um, those are two of my favorite musicians on planet Earth. They're so good and so talented, and um, a lot of these tunes came up like what us. We were just in the studio here at Sweetwater, and we, you know, Randy would bring in a riff and a this, and we'd get there and we'd just come up with these things. And uh, it was a real cool team effort. And those guys are so musical. I just love the way that tune turned out because it's it's got the proggy thing, it's got the rock thing uh, with yeah. it as well. The middle section, the Randy's guitar solo is just tremendous, and uh, I love the way our vocals blend. I, I like that track quite a bit. Fringe is really cool band, man. You you three really make a good team on yeah. that. I, and I'm happy to hear there's another album coming because I thought that's a really strong group that could do a lot more, you know. But yeah. sometimes all you guys are all so busy with 100 projects. You never know who's what's what's going to come together again. Totally. You know, and, and there's, there's always a, that life thing, too, because when we all started this project, I mean, Randy's still young. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jonas, we're getting up there. And... um it, you know, there's uh, just the financial situations and the job paying the bills. It's just the timing sure. of to do that full time. It just wasn't in the cards. I don't. I think our our um, our uh, you know we love the project a lot, and we always wanted to do more. So now it's just now that everybody's a little more stable. Um, you know, Jonas with the Steve Hackett gig, and mm-hmm. Randy's doing his thing, and I think there's more. We're coming at it maybe for the, for the next thing and in the future a little more mature and kind of knowing how to get to the next step. And Randy, too, he's really making a, a 
bigger name for himself because he's just he's so insanely talented as yeah. a singer and a and a guitar player. It's crazy. So I'm, I'm happy to see him getting more attention. Me too. Um, Jeff, you want to jump in? You're number four. Okay. Yeah, number four. Um, so I'm gonna pick a big big, big train track because definitely want to have one of those in there and i suppose in terms of me, me casting my mind back um i can remember we used to get this again this is in the days way before the mature internet um this little company that sent us a kind of photocopied catalog of uh prog releases and i remember reading about this band in the big and you know we talked about the, it was the album the difference machine and it had underneath you know in capital letters features Dave Maros, Nick DiVirgilio, and Pete Travis. I thought, well, okay, can't be bad. I, I I know all of those people, so this could be should be pretty good. And it was good. And I enjoyed the album; it was great. But wow, I mean the journey the journey from from a kind of guest appearance right through to um, the recent uh, Grand Tour and um, that album. So I, my pick, um, I, I've been switching between Pantheon. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Pantheon. it was switching between it and theodora (laughs) um both of which were ones that obviously you had a hand in writing but i think i think um pantheon because to me it's it's a song that um it it sort of stands out in the big big train catalog i mean the brilliant thing about the development of that band is that every change or addition you know, has brought it a step further. It brings different influences. It brings different elements in. You know, it's not like, um, and I mean this respectfully. You know, if 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 you know a band, you know, switches their drummer or whatever, but they keep sounding the same. Big big train has really been this beautiful journey of development, and I think that that instrumental has you know everything that they you know that that they're really great at, but also so many new elements. Um, brilliant drumming track and just yeah just for me it's it was one of the standouts of the album thank you yeah it's cool uh you know it's it's big big train's got to be one of the best bands i've ever had the pleasure to be involved with i love the music i love all the people in the band and i love seeing how the band has 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 grown and it's great to see a little bit of success coming with the band those guys work really hard greg and david and yeah. Our man Nick, they bust their buns really a lot on this band, and it's just run so well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they, the planning is amazing. How they, how great they think ahead, and how smart they are with that kind of stuff. Um, I've learned a lot about uh, business sides of things from those guys for sure. And you know, and it's great that I've been given the opportunity now to kind of grow in the band as well, uh, singing mm-hmm. more and now writing a little bit more too, which is fantastic. I love that and. Uh, we wrote this for another project. It was another idea that they had. So the song had been sitting around a little bit, but um, when the time to do Grand Tour came around, Greg said, no, this should be on there. And what's really cool about these things, about these this group of musicians, is they add such cool flavors that you would not expect in your own music. So I wrote that, you know, I sent them this song as a demo, and it had live drums, but still, you know, it was me playing guitar, and it w- wasn't as fleshed out as far as mm-hmm. all the little nuances and just the little key adds of keyboard this and little guitar that and the harmonies that they would add that i would never think of that's what makes it so magical and they do that yeah. to all the big big train songs no matter who's writing it so it, it really turned out great and then you add the brass guys to it yeah. and uh yeah it was it's yeah. really cool yeah. 
I love I, I love Big Big Trade. I mean, they are one of the most unique bands to me. The way they sound, it's it's um, they really found their own niche. You know, they don't sound like anybody else, and they really do their own thing. And it's just amazing musicians, the songwriting, the stories, the whole thing. It's you really get a whole with an album of theirs. You you get a whole package that's tremendously thought out and and yeah. put together in so substantial it's impressive you know they don't and not to demean any other band it's it's not what yeah. i mean but it's yeah. it's just it's a whole different approach and you really notice it when you when you hear one of their records i think and we feel sorry for all you americans who've missed out on seeing them live oh it's... man it was such a bummer it was <laughs> like... so mad man it just so stinks so bad we we're so excited about finally getting the chance to come this way it took a long time to book those shows you know and the money we you know all of that stuff and it finally came together uh you know it's going to culminate right here at sweetwater with a show outside and a recording workshop i mean it was all going to be just this nice you know bow on top of the package and then oh yeah. Yeah, I I saw the tour in in Glasgow and Scotland, and it was it was glorious, really was. Uh, Again, it was a it was a bucket list type thing. Well, not that they played lots of shows anyway before that, Um, but you know, stuff like uh, the Florentine where you come out from behind the drums and sing with David, and I mean, there seems to be as well a real camaraderie there. You know, you know, you think, oh, well, you know, this is the American kind of session guy who records drums, but you guys obviously have a good you know, working relationship and great collaboration as well, you know, which yeah. is it's really good. Well, just uh, before you go on there, we are the last show of that tour at the Hackney Empire in London mm. got filmed and we thought we might just be able to get a couple songs out of it, not thinking to, to get a whole new live package, but it turned out so well that um, it's, it's we're going to have a whole new live DVD surround sound thing coming, I think, oh, wow. by the end of this year, but it's it's all mixed. Rob did the whole mix. We've seen the cut of the video. It looks amazing. It's really high, professionally shot. And so there's a whole, you'll see that tour. The band was really tight by the last show of the tour. So it's, we sounded mm. good, nice energy, beautiful theater. So that's going to be coming out in the, in the near future. That and they're, cool. they're a band with a sort of unique fan base as well. It's nearly like a kind of a big family of, yeah. of people who, you know, on that tour, I, I met lots of, just on that one night, you know, people who were like, oh, we were going to every show, you know, and they were follow- following them up and down the UK, you know, which is, which is great. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. Uh, okay, I'll jump in. My number four. Uh, I'm going to go to the uh, Pieces EP and yeah. uh, do Childhood's End. Yeah. Which is just a beautiful, uh, valid type of song. I think could, you know could have fit on on a Spock Beard album. I think that that type of idea. Um, just a great song with a great hook, great chorus, great great story. Um, you know, how, what's the, what's the story behind that song? How'd that come to be? That's an old Kevin Gilbert song. Um, when when I was starting to do some solo stuff with him, like where the the song the game sort of stemmed from. Uh, it was an old track that Kevin had around since, gosh, when he was a kid, or you know, he was a kid when he passed, but early, like probably his late teens. Mm. And he always thought that that would be a cool song for me to try and cover. Mm. And uh, I never got to work with work, work on it with him because he had passed away. But when it came time to do it, I I knew I had to record that song. Yeah. So, so you know, that's right out of Kevin's mind, and we uh, just kind of built off of his demo and learned the learned the chords best we could and made that track. Something happened to us on the way to claiming our 
it, it it sounds like something you could have written. Like it just it fits. Um, yeah. Know, the the childhood's end kind of descending note part that kind of thing. It's very just so it was always very kind of Spock's beard to me. I thought. Oh. Um, but very cool. That EP's great. Bunch of cool songs on that. And then, yeah, it's it's weird that from that point, from that EP to this album, it's been quite a long time, right? I mean, uh, what are we looking at? Yeah, 2011, yeah. yeah. I just, I was talking about this with somebody the other day. It just took me that long to, not, not, not that I didn't want to do another record. It was just, I was either, I was in Cirque and traveling and providing for the family and doing all that whole thing. And then there was big, big train and there just wasn't enough hours yeah. in the day to get it all done and commit my time that needs to be committed to doing a solo thing. Um, and I think it just took me up to this point in time in my life too, where I'm confident enough in what I'm doing to feel that I want to get it out into the world more. I always felt that I was a good enough drummer and could sing. Okay. And all that stuff, but the writing stuff, it's a whole other animal, you know, and you gotta, you gotta kind of, Put your music out there and not worry about it, what people really think. you got to just do it for yourself, right. and then hopefully people will come to your music and get some enjoyment out of it. And if you have that doubt in your head, it's uh, really tough to release your stuff. And um, it's just taken me that long to get to this point. So I, it's going to be – there's a lot more coming in the future. It's not going to be that long before the next record. I guarantee you that. Uh, and do you is, – is, is, is writing something that you kind of do naturally, or is it something that kind of – I mean, I, I, I mean, we, we've talked, interviewed, you know, someone like Neil Morrison on, on the show, you know, and Neil will talk about waking up and, you know, just immediately a 30 minute kind of epic pours yeah. out b b before yeah. breakfast. Yeah. And for other people, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a kind of different process. It is different for me, for sure. He's so prolific. It's ridiculous. And Randy McStein's like that a lot too. He can mm -hmm. write music yeah. all day long. And, uh I write a ton of riffs. I got tons of ideas. I mean, I got hours and hours of ideas are like songs that are in, you know, in some form or another, but not full completed pieces. It's, mm -hmm. it's hard to get to that over that hump uh, for me, at least I got to kind of really, um, think about it more. Some people just, it's a gift. I mean, you know, Neil definitely has a songwriting gift, let alone being able to play and sing the way he does, obviously, but he could just, you know, He's in the shower, thinks of a theme in his head, and then, and then all of a sudden he goes out and lays it down, and the whole song is done. I mean, that that doesn't happen that often by right. many people. So um, it's just a little bit more. It's a little harder for me to do that, for sure. Yeah, cool. All right, let's go to your number three, Nick. Um, I'm going to stick with BBT because you kind of threw it there. So um, I'm so blessed with this band, man. I get to really play and be myself. And this is a track that um, a later one, it's off Grimspound. The song's called A Mead Hall in Winter. Mm. And I love this song because it has the vibe of the old school vibe of Big Big Train, but then it also has the touch of Ricard, his writing and his style, which really took Big Big Train to the next level, I think. This is where the band is really starting to uh, just really start to expand with a little more of his flavor, Rachel's. The violin, her flavor is starting to add more, and this like this this soup is really just turning into a great <laughs> a great thing. And so I got that song is so much fun to play, really mm -hmm. difficult to play live. You got to really stay on your toes to, to 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 hold it in and not do too much and stay tight with the band. But I love the way it turned out on the record.
That's a great song. Great, great album. Yeah. To me, like that's, Chris, that's a real prog song for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they like doing these long, uh, long epics. I mean, they don't shy away from, you guys yeah. don't shy away from that stuff at all. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's as well. I mean, I think the other thing is, is, is how ultimately, you know, the 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 lyric a lot of the lyric and th- themes they're so english you know even even for me someone else from the uk you know that that um you, you know it's it's so you know it's so deep and i i just love the fact that you know it's it's not just words that are thrown out there the guys actually on the websites or in the booklets they'll you know they'll tell you the story and you get you get involved with the stories of each of the songs and understanding what they're about you know and it's it's back to that old sort of uh, you know, Nirvana experience of you know you you get the music, but there's more because there's stuff that you read and you you know even even learn things from their music. You know, which yeah. is cool. well, is that like that for you with with some of the stories on the songs when you know do they have to explain? You yeah, know, does Greg explain the story to each band member? Like, what are we doing here? Sure, yeah, and he's a he's a voracious reader. Greg is, you know, and he's uh, he's an archaeologist, like a hobby hobbyist. And uh, loves history big time, and he tours all over just to go, go to a castle and learn the history of a place and that kind of thing. And um, he's got a great way of coming out, getting into a certain story of a character or a building or a, a town, and um, turning it into a song lyric. They're really good at that. Him and David Longden are really good at that. How they get this big elaborate story that could be a full-on novel. And condense it into a four or ten minute song, whatever, and you know, it's and still get the whole story into the song. It's amazing how they can do that. They're really good at that stuff. Yeah, but yeah, uh, the, the references I don't know. I have to learn from them. Right. I'll tell I'll tell you a funny story. So obviously, you know, my my kids are um are, are being schooled from home, and they get you know different projects through the different tools that the, the school share with them. And a couple of days ago, I went up and said to my son, oh, "What are you working on?" He goes, "Um." I'm I'm learning about this guy called Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who's the guy that built the Underfall Yard, <laughs> amongst other, amongst other things. I was like, well, I know a song about that. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> but yeah, they go, no, I know about Brunel because this is yeah, and we we kind of got into that as well. So yeah, you know, every, everybody learns from Big Big Train, even my 11 year old. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good. That's very cool. All right, Jeff, why did you jump in? You're number three. Number three, okay, you guys are picking my songs off my list, so which is lucky I've got more than more than uh, five. Okay, but I, but but I did one that album that I definitely did want to mention um, was um, Rewiring Genesis and the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway album. And I, it, it, the reason I want to mention it, number one, I love it, but number two, actually, it's an album that a lot of people it seems to have, you know a lot of people seem to have missed it. And I've talked to people about it, and they go, "What's well, that? I never heard of that before." And uh, the number of people I've pointed in the direction of that album. So it's a full re-recording of the double album of the Lamb Lies Down and Broadway, except that it doesn't contain any synthesizers, right? And 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 the parts that were played by that in the album are replaced by all sorts of other instruments. And in fact, some of the guitar parts are replaced by you know strings and you know different stuff accordions and i was out walking the other night was 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 listening to it and just again such a rich kind of tapestry and then you drum the whole thing and you sing the whole thing and it's just 
it's just fantastic. And in fact, to the extent that the other day I was actually listening to The Lamb for Real and um, I missed, I was listening to In the Cage, which is a song that I picked, and I'd forgotten that there weren't horns in the original. Right. <laughs> right. Awesome. I was like listening to the Genesis version going, oh, this is, there's, there's something missing about this. It doesn't have the horns coming in, <laughs> you know, which is, which is, I think that's a, a, a testament of anything to it, that when you start missing stuff from the original. So what, what was, what was, the, what was the sort of story behind that one? That song or just the whole record? No, the whole, the whole record. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's, so Mark Hornsby, who, you know, has uh, worked with me on so many things, my new record included, uh, he was living in Nashville, and we had, he would fly me out to Nashville to do sessions all the time, or, you know, every couple months kind of a thing. And we were sitting around drinking one night, and he's a prog head, even though he's you know, does all kinds of different music. Um, he, he loves prog as well. And I think we were a little drunk one night, and he goes, well, what if we did some progressive rock in, like, I don't know, like a bluegrass version of a progressive rock song. Like bluegrass or country or something like that. Go, okay, maybe. Why not? Let's try that. And um, that was the impetus. And then he got we got together with a group and we did The Colony of Slipperman. That was the first track we tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, we figured we'd go with one of the easy ones on the, on the, on the record. Right? <laughs> and um, the cool thing is that we got our friend John Hinchy, who's a trombonist, and uh, to arrange parts for some other instruments and they charted out the whole song which is not easy to do and what was so cool about it is we got these group of people to get together to play this tune that never heard any of this music before <laughs> they were showing up like reading oh, wow, the music wow. off the charts and they had no idea what they were playing <laughs> and then you know we played them the original once they got there they had never heard of the record they knew who genesis was of course but they thought genesis was invisible touch and and whatever else, later Genesis, they had no idea what this record was. And that's what made that record so cool because all these people were not, you know, uh, didn't grow up with the music. So they gave a complete fresh take on the way to play these parts and to interpret this music. And that's what, so uh, Slipperman turned out so well that Mark said, man, maybe we should try and do the whole record. And I go, (laughs) well, shit, let's go for it. Why not? We did it. And uh, it was it's, it was an amazing process. We the the record deal that we got for it fell apart right after in a sort of an ugly way, and that's why the record never really got to to uh, see the light of day as as we would have liked. We have thought about going back in there and remixing some stuff. There's a few things that we would like to maybe change from the original recording, just to clean up a couple of things. Maybe not redo it, but just kind of make it sound a little bit different. So that's that's definitely in the cards to to re-release some here and somewhere in the future. Cause I think it was fun to do. It was great to hear those songs in that, in that way. Yeah, like my, true. one of my favorites is riding the scree and like the synthesizer solo is played by this woman on clarinet. She's yeah. really only, I forget her name, but she's like the only musician in Nashville who could play that <laughs> on that instrument. Cause it's really hard. So it was a really yeah. cool education for me to get into this deep into the songwriting of those guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of those tunes, they might sound really difficult when you hear the final mix, but you break down these songs into their bare bones parts. And a lot of them are just really simple chord changes, very bluesy in certain in certain aspects. You know, it, none of it is not necessarily as hard as you think it is mm-hmm. um, when you break it down. So, they, so it was a really cool education like that as well. Whitening winter 
I mean, you know, that's a even you know vocally even that's a, a, a you know a, a, a you know it's a fantastic song and a, and a real or a stretch you know but it's not a straightforward sing by yeah. any means. Um, yeah. Yeah, and of course you your 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 brush with Genesis as well back in calling all stations as well was was must have been a bit of a highlight was how, how did that pan out <laughs> yeah huge highlight and i know we sent that we sent the rewiring record to all the guys and i know i've talked to tony banks about it he definitely had to listen to it i think mike rutherford heard it um i don't and um steve hackett has heard it just recently i'm not sure about phil or peter if they spent any time listening to it but you don't leave leave copies lying around when you're yeah, in exactly. the real yeah. world <laughs> Leave them in the bathroom, sure. <laughs> and did you? And of course, that was the time that w- that you did that you did the the stuff with the sessions with Genesis and so on. That was the same time when with David Longdon was also potentially well, trying try out for was, them, wasn't it? Wasn't it between him and Ray Wilson? That's what I well, remember. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't know that way later after meeting David. I had no idea. Your past didn't cross at that time, though. No. No, I, in fact, they, uh, Ray had already been picked as the singer. He had a lot of his vocal parts were already done. By the time I came in, he had sang to a lot of the demos and stuff like that. So, And he did come to the studio one day while I was there. I met him briefly. But, uh, yeah, so he, that was already picked by the time I got there. Cool. Have you ever had an opportunity to work with, with him on anything again, Ray? Or that, that sort no, of but after I, that? It sort no, of it was really cool to hear him play that tune that he played on the prog report. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that was one of the songs I drummed on, right? You know? And um, it was really cool. And it was really—he's got a great voice, boy. And it was—it was neat to hear that, just the grittiness and the gruff in his voice, just playing acoustic guitar. I thought it was really beautiful. You know, one of the amazing things with the Prague from Home concert is was just like we were. There's some artists that we know better than others, obviously, and 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 we were able to email you directly, and I, and I had a good feeling you would do it, and. And some other people, but then there's some other people that Jeff and I were were really just throwing names up against the wall, and it was just like, well, what about Ray Wilson? And like, sure, why not Ray Wilson? You know, it's, it's sort of silliness, and and I'm just a huge fan of his. I think he's one of the best singers there is. I love all his solo records, and I love Calling All Stations. I think it's an amazing record. Um, I, I don't compare it to any other era of Genesis. It's a great album. That that's all that matters to me. But you know, so we send his team an email, and I mean, then by the next morning, he had sent that clip. It was crazy. <laughs> it was just like that's amazing. You know, we didn't ask him what song to do, you know, anything, and so it was just really cool. That was sort of, I mean, we got his obviously early on because he took one day to do it, and uh, and sort of we felt once we're like we we got that one, we were like, okay, this thing's gonna work out. This show's gonna be okay. <laughs> You know, but it was, was, very was cool pretty thing. cool. It was a very cool thing. Yeah, it was nice. Um, okay, so I'm going to jump in uh, with my number three. I wanted to uh, pick a Spock's tune that was also from uh, when, when Neil was singing and, and you were drumming. And, uh, you know, we always go down the same road with a lot of tunes. It's the light or it's, you know, walking on the wind or something. But I, I, was, I wanted to... to Pick something else that I thought, let me think, what's a cool kind of drumming part and a song that is another one of my favorites? And and I chose uh, Crack the Big Sky mm-hmm. from Day for Night. I love the opening drum thing. It's very memorable. 
and uh, a lot of great parts in there. I love the there's like this very cool uh, acoustic guitar solo that Alan does in the, in the middle, which I think is amazing. One of my favorite parts. And your harmonies on. I mean, your harmonies during that whole era were like as signature to the band than as as like Michael Anthony with Van Halen, I think, type of thing, right? I mean, it was. Cool. I don't think the band sounds like it did then without your high parts. Mm. And it's really significant. Um, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the one I chose. I think it's another sort of underrated classic for the man. I think it's one that the band just continued to do, even when, when you were in the band yeah, and even with, with always, Ted that now. Our set list quite a bit. You know, it, was, it wasn't that hard to play. You know, it's not the, one of the more really difficult tunes, but it's got that proggy element that most of the fans seem to dig. And it was it came across live in a good way. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was definitely a fun track. I think Neil recently released these uh, videos, such right? Uh, wasn't that recently, Jeff, with the uh, recording of Day for Night? Yeah, some yeah, of those uh, right. videos. Did you did you see some of that stuff that came out recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, what are your memories of of making that record back then? Oh gosh, um, what's funny about making some of those old records is how you made records back in those days. It was old school, you know. Uh, we, it, but it was also cool because we always did everything as a band at least in the in the initial stages, you know, they would over, obviously overdub stuff without the whole band there, but we always worked as a team getting down the basics. You know, we were always in the same room together. We recorded at Kevin's studio. Right. Uh, we were working closely with Rich Mauser by that point. Um, you know, and uh, Neil has, uh, Neil was a leader. He was the real leader of the band. You know, it was, you know, you, he it was always open to ideas and everything like that. And, and, and us coming up with, with parts and stuff like that. But you know, so you sort of had to follow his lead with certain things. And, uh, you know, it, it made for some cool music back then. Yeah. I love uh day for night. I think it's a, another, just that whole, that whole era, man was, was really special. Uh, all right, Nick, you're number two. Well, I'm going to stick with Spock's, but I'm going to go to Spock's beard part two or mock two or however you want to say it. This song, um, whenever I hear it, um, makes me love that whole period of the band. I really enjoyed um, the second season of Spock's, mm-hmm. you know, and what we, the, the music we made. There were some really special moments, and I think this is one of them. Uh, the song Here's the Man from Spock's Beard 9, or just Spock's Beard record. Mm-hmm. It's part of that sort of epic towards the back. Um, I had this great friend of mine named uh, Ray Eastloss play, come in and play percussion on the track. Um, Dave Maros is like, fusion bass playing is just so good and um john baghold wrote this killer track and i was able to sing and uh really emote some cool emotions in it and the band is on fire uh i just thought we it was a really good moment in spock's beard part two's musical output yeah i love that track yeah you best not return take the money and run Say well 
love that. I love that whole suite, right? That's the dreaming and answers and they know we know. know and oh, Man, that's know. just good stuff. Yeah. yeah. That was, was really, really you guys long. were, you guys were really hitting your stride then, you know, it was with feel euphoria. It was like, okay, well let's, let's figure this out, you know? And then by the time you got to that self-titled one, it was like, okay, they've settled in and this is, yeah. is really good stuff. Yeah. It's a good time. We were talking just recently about Dave's bass playing on the, that single that came out a, a little while ago on the, on the Pattern Seeking Animals mm-hmm. um, album, and he's just he's just got a completely unique style. Uh, oh. One of the you know one of those bass players that when you hear it, you know it's him. You know, uh, fantastic, yeah. fantastic. And I could... so lucky and blessed. The bass players that I've been able to play with over my career have been just incredible. Dave yeah. being definitely one of them. Uh, Brian Beller, uh, Jonas Reingold, and on and on and on. I, it's just been amazing the guys that I've been able to play in the rhythm section with over throughout my career. Yeah. Dave, fantastic man. He was always the rock of the band. He was solid every night. I barely ever heard him make a mistake ever. Um, he, you know, he was his tone was there. He was just always on point all the time. And listen, an underrated songwriter in the band during your period. I mean, he wrote some killer tunes that I don't know that a lot of people know. I mean, I was looking through some of the old stuff, and and one of my favorite songs from that era was Edge of the In-Between, which was was, he wrote the music for that. I mean, there's a bunch of them, so it's it's pretty cool. All right, uh, Jeff, you're number two. It's me. Gosh, every everybody's picking stuff that either I have on my list, um, so I'm trying to throw in some different things. Um, okay, Ryan, I got, so I'm, I'm, whenever that happens, I go for deep cuts, so I'm going to go for a deep one now as well. All right. So um, we had, obviously, the, I was a big, still am, but was a big Spox fan, and obviously the news came out, Neil was, was leaving, and I can remember at the time going, well, you know, we had looking for answers and snow and that was nick and he wrote that and you know that's you know that's going to be pretty good and then the next thing that i remember was rio's album came out um coming through and there's a track on there called i always have to check that i get it right the farther he goes the farther he falls which you wrote yeah and you sing a new drum and dave plays bass on it and steve lukather plays guitar on it <laughs> and I can remember listening to that album and going, right, if that's what Spock's beard is going to be like, we're, we're, we're okay. <laughs> and it's a really, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a real, again, it's, I mean, that album actually Rio has just recently put it on Bandcamp, but again, I've noticed online loads of people going, we didn't even know this existed. And like, it's, it's, it's got Bobby Kimball on it. It's got Glenn Hughes singing on it. It's a, wow, it's, that it's, is a, so that it's, is a deep cut, man. Good it's it's you. an inc- incredible album. But this, I don't even have the, that record. Oh well, there you go. So, so but but that song really for me it, it it stands out as being that was the moment where I kind of went right. Spox is in in safe hands here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, Rio. You know, back in his in his day, he played with so many other artists like that. He was a great session guy. I mean, all he was. He was deep in the L.A. scene for quite a long time, you know, and toured yeah. with all kinds of other things. And he was able to get a lot of these great guest artists to come play on his record. It was, uh, it was great that he asked me to join in and he liked that tune and wanted to record it. And uh, it was, yeah, I haven't heard that record in a long time either. I might have to pull that one out. It's, uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a fun time for sure. Yeah, what, was no, the, was... what was the song 
uh, again, Jeff? The farther he goes, the farther he falls. No, it's 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 a it's a it's a little hidden gem of an album, and uh, yeah, I say that was the moment for me. In fact, I remember actually, was there a oh gosh, this this goes back, but again, dial up internet, and there was a radio there was a radio show round about the time that 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 Neil had left, and I think it was Papa Jay's matinee. Oh yeah, and you and you and you and Al I think went on to it and did maybe June actually maybe I think he sang acoustically yeah. but I can remember trying to listen to it and it was kind of you know and cutouts and everything like that so I like, mm, don't know about this but then that song came out and restored my faith and yeah you know that year in fact that was apart from the snow live that that was the only Spock Spear era that I that I saw and it was actually the tour of that um the ninth album um and I went to Manchester to it, and you played the Great Nothing, which is my absolute favorite Spock Spear track. So it was, it was, it was, it was the part. You know, that was that was it. That was the icing on the cake for me. So. Nice. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to jump in my number two. Uh, all right, so I'm going to go Big Big Train because I haven't done done that yet. And again, I was trying to think of some different songs because some of the ones that I go to with Big Big Train are usually like East Coast Racer and 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 some of the big epics. But I wanted to try and highlight some something a little bit more that, that was maybe focused with drumming and instrumental stuff. So I, I and actually I love this song. So uh, I chose on the racing line. Oh, wow. Okay. From Grimstone, mm-hmm. which is a very cool instrumental, very kind of, I don't know. It's, it's sort of, I guess a, the default thing would be to describe it as sort of jazzy prog maybe or something. I don't know, but uh, a, a very cool kind of uh, interesting uh, eclectic kind of number, I think. Um, and, and for anybody that, uh, notice we have this little uh, commercial thing on the Prog Report Facebook page on the on the sort of Facebook cover thing that we've had for a while, and that's the music for that. I had asked Greg <laughs> if I could use it for this uh, ad for the website, and which which he was kind enough to allow. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan of of Grimspan, and and I love that uh, that song as well. So. that was the time like i said earlier what's really really cool and and awesome about this band for me is that even from the very first time i recorded for them doing the difference machine back in the day and first meeting the guys they always wanted me to play just do my thing you know here's the Mm -hmm. here's the kind of beat i'm thinking of now go for it and uh so there was great freedom in that for me especially you know at the beginning just recording for somebody as like a session player but then when they asked me to actually be in the band, it was like, 
We want you to do you. Uh, with, with no 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 holes barred, just play what you think is right, and um, and it, that's that's worked. That's what's really made this a great team effort. Um, and so that particular tune is very frenetic and fast, and I get to play a lot, you know. And um, and so I just it was it was one of those special moments where I I really am thankful that they're they're like that with everybody too. It's not just me. They want everybody to have their voice and have that voice be part of the whole. And it's just, that's kind of what I get out of that tune. That whole record is like that. Cause really it was, that was like the jumping off point. Um, English electric and all those things were like that too. But once we started hitting Grimsbound and folklore, it was really starting to open up where everybody's little special nuances were adding to the whole sound of the band. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can hear that. Uh, great. Um, and, and with East Coast Racer, and I told this to Greg, I, I had David and Greg on for a podcast, and I said, and I told them if they ever come to U.S., they have to play that song in concert. I don't care if they're sick of it. So, <laughs> I, I think that, well, I'm of the mind, I don't know if they agree with me, but I think that should be in the Big Big Train set forever. I agree. That's so. one of my favorite things to ever play. I think it just works live so well. And that she, yeah, that she flies all. part at the end is just, oh I need God. to, I need to see that live at some point in my life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'll make sure, I'll make sure that happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, man, you're number one. Well, I'm going to pick for my new solo record. Great. Good. And yep. I'm going to pick this, the single, where's the passion. And I'm picking that because not because the record's not out yet and people haven't heard everything yet, but I'm, I'm picking that because, um, I think I achieved what I wanted to with this song because it's the centerpiece of the whole record. The, the, the chorus melody is the theme that kind of goes, that weaves its way throughout the whole record in various forms. We, we morphed it so it doesn't quite sound the same way. You know, we, we turn the melody upside down. It did some kind of, you know, reverse harmony things with it throughout, but it definitely weaves its way through. And I, and I think that um, I like the chorus and I like the positive aspect about the, the lyric. And um, to me, it's one of the, it's one of the better songs I've ever written. And, uh, just the way it all turned out with Jordan's playing, you know, I that that came out of a Jordan Rudis recording workshop here at Sweetwater, mm -hmm. and when I was fine, when I found out that he was coming to do the workshop, you know, I think most people would hear think the, hear the name Jordan Rudess and they think, well, obviously Dream Theater and his amazing chops and the way he can solo on a synthesizer and all that kind of stuff, and that stuff's amazing. There's a version of him playing the outro, the solo, and the outro of the song that we ended up not using, but it's you know that stuff is awesome. But what I wanted to do was to hear his amazing musicianship doing something like I just wanted to hear him play piano on this song. That's mm -hmm. not maybe what typically what people might think of him. Um, and I think he just did an amazing job. His touch and his feel playing a part that I came up with and then him elaborating on it to me gave the song a great life and a whole it left, lifted it to a whole other level. And um yeah, that's I, I, yeah. I really enjoy that track, and I think it, it means it, it means a lot for the record, and I think it means a lot for me as a songwriter. Where's the
it's it's a beautiful track. Um, when I, I had a chance to hear the record before the single was was put out, and uh, I was happy that that was the single. I think it's it's definitely one of the strongest songs on the record, and I liked it the whole ending, the build up, you know, the whole orchestration and thing going on there. It's it's just tremendous. Who Very, who play who plays the guitar on on that? That's Randy. Fanta- that's nice. a fantastic solo at the end of it. Yeah. Cool. Very cool, man. Um, good luck with the record, man. I think it's gonna go, gonna go down well. I really do. Um, uh, Jeff, man, what's your number one? Oh, I'm torn. Um, so I, I think I'm gonna, if I'm allowed, I'm gonna pick one from the new album as well. Yeah. Um, is that okay? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's cool. Is it? Um, so I think uh, waiting for no one. Oh, was cool. A re- was a real standout song for me and um you know it when i was thinking about it i mean listening to it for the first time and going you know this kind of wouldn't sound out of place on the first peter gabriel solo album and that is is kind of one of the uh, i suppose the ultimate compliments i think that you know it's mostly a piano based song but you have the the big big train brass guys coming in and again that's just such a such a unique sound and it, it adds something and again that kind of uh, one of my good friends who i go to morse fest with is he's he's english and he's was a tuba player and you know the, the just i just love all the sound of that kind of the traditional with the modern i also like i mean obviously that's a you know a song of of loneliness uh, and and stuff like that and i love there's there's some of the even little uh, the little lyric twist about was it uh, misfortune? Yeah, you know, I think that's nearly sort of quite Gabriel-esque. The sort of the is it you know miss mi- two words misfortune or is it misfortune? She's a close personal friend. You know, I I really like that. Really like that line, um, and that to me was. And then after that, snake oil salesman kicks in, which is a kind of full blown, head banging yeah. kind of rock rock tune. Uh, but you know, two two beautiful contrasts. But that 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 was one of the songs that really struck me in first listen on that song. Wow, sweet! Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, it's a very emotional tune for me. Um, and when it was one of those things too, where the the demo was just me playing piano, and then when I gave it to some other players to to see how they would do it. So there's a there's a young kid that works here at Sweetwater named Jacob Dupre. He's uh, from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he's doing a lot of the keyboard web content for us now. And he is a tremendous musician. Young kid, he's only 25 years old. He's sort of got that Randy McStein thing going on him where he's just he's like an old soul as a player. Hmm. He, I mean, he gets it big time. Um, yeah. And he pl- he's playing the piano on that song. And just the way he interpreted my chords, he's not playing it that differently than the way I played it. But the touch, you know, and just the way he lilts between the chords it's just it it's so emo it just brought out the the emotion for me in the vocal you know it was so cool yeah. and then when carl verheyen i don't know if you guys know much about him as a guitar player yeah, i don't so he's play. he's yeah. he's been in super well super tramp's not doing anything anymore but he joined super tramp i think in the early 90s and he played with them for 25 years okay. um so not the early days like you know breakfast in america but later on and um He's an American guitar player, lives in L.A., and he also, he's played on more movies and TV shows than anybody I can, I mean, his CV is a mile long, plus hmm. a lot of records, and he, he's, he's got his own, uh, probably 20 of his own solo records, 
he's a lot of based in the you know the instrumental guitar world but he's just a tremendous musician when he picked up that uh, that electric hollow body guitar and was messing around with the solo in the middle of that song i mean he he took it to play i never thought of that he, it's sort of like a little bit of a jazzy sound but the the, the notes he picked blew my mind and it was that's another re uh, one of those things that these other musicians that i hadn't worked with a lot of in my life added such great touch and feel to these songs of mine that i things that i just would not have expected to come up with myself and that's a beaut that's i think that's a really beautiful thing when mm -hmm. players bring that kind of thing to your music um and then so you know it's a real it's a tearjerker that tune i mean that's the part you know it that's a song where i was imagining it was it could be him the main character singing that song, or it could be someone else he runs into as he's walking down the street, finding again finding out that he's not the only one alone, of you know, feeling alone in the world. Mm -hmm. There's two. There's two ways to look at it there. So I appreciate you picking that tune, actually. Yeah. Sometimes I feel low. I don't know where to go There's nothing out there That I really want to find Time stands still No one seems to care I feel it in the air Tonight's the same as every other night I'm alone and waiting for no one Carl Verheyen actually has, has he's actually played in, in Northern Ireland probably four or five times. I've seen him a couple of times because um, okay. he, he goes all around the world and it was, I can remember him playing in a, there's like a kind of a, this group of people who bring it, bring over all of these people from all over the world. And, you know, it was one of those nights where it was a, a bar full of guitar players. And I, my memory of the night is having a sore neck because everybody was kind of craning to look to see what his hands were doing. You know, it wasn't just sort of sitting listening to the music. Yeah. Everyone was studying his technique. And he, like, threw in a bit of a sort of workshoppy type stuff as well. He's, he's, he's really amazing. Yeah, he's really cool. Worth checking out his material if you've never heard it before. It's definitely yes. worth checking out. Cool. Uh, okay, great. Uh, all right, I'll close out my number one. Um, I wanted to uh, pick something from your era of fronting Spock's beard. So I'm going to pick, um, I think this is like the big epic that you, one of the big epics you wrote during the, the period, but uh, from the 10 album, From the Darkness. Okay. Mm. Which is uh, a monster track, uh, one of those long ones. Um, and it, I, I looked, I mean, it's credited to you, the, the whole thing, music and lyrics. Um and uh, I, that's an amazing album. I mean, that one of my favorite records by the band in, era, in any era. I think ten is tremendous. Well, you know, it was one of those things where we were coming up with that, coming up to the point of making that record. And I know I wrote a guy named Sid early on on Feel Euphoria record, but I, I felt that I had I wanted to write an epic, a proggy mm -hmm. epic, you know. Right. And, uh, and so I worked on that with quite a bit. It all stemmed that whole track stemmed from that opening guitar riff. And the whole thing kind of flourished from there. And um, another one of those things where I, I demoed out that whole song by myself from top to bottom and then gave it to the guys and they agreed to put, you know, to record it. But the way they interpreted my parts just added some really great life to the whole thing. Yeah. And, um, 
it was it was just it was a fun record. It was a, definitely a fun track to record and to create. I like that uh, the the ending part where it's kind of slowed down with all the all the harmony vocals yeah. and the, the whole build. And I was you know I was building on my you know sort of the education from the Neil days and how he wrote epics and you know older right. all of some a lot of the prog bands that I loved growing up as a kid. I was definitely influenced by all of that. Yeah. No, that's a, that was a cool period. I mean, I, you know, for all of us that were Spock's Beard fans and, and were upset that Neil had left and there wouldn't be the band anymore. I mean, like by that period, it, it was like you guys had long, you know, moved on. And it was like another band you could rely on by that point to put out great material. And it was it was cool. It was oh. really cool to have Neil doing his thing. You guys doing that. And yeah, and those was, was very nice. Um Cool, man. I think we covered a lot. Again, let's let's uh, repeat about the uh, the uh, solo record, Invisible, June twenty sixth. Um, everybody, it's uh, well, nickdevirgilio.com, I guess. If you want to go pre order it, check it out. When yep. is the uh, the new single coming out? Do we know yet? The new the new single comes out this Friday, June fifth. Okay. I don't know if this will be released. I don't yeah, know this will be this will be after that, so it'll be already already out by then. Yeah. Okay. Well, Nick, thank you, man. Always a pleasure to talk to yeah. you. Thank you for everything uh, you know you do for for us, for the site, for music. Um, uh, great to great to speak with you and do this. This was sort of a "This is your life" type of uh, I, episode, you know. Not exactly came into my head, Nick. This is your life. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, guys. Cool. I really appreciate. it. I love your site, and I love what you guys do for for Prague and just music. And yeah, it's it's a great team you have there. So thank you so thank much you, for man. having me be a part of it. All right. We'll see you soon Thank somewhere. You. All right, man. Be good. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.